0: This is Cover 2, a podcast on the Cleveland Browns. Hit.
1: Browns are going to win! field,
0: touchdown! With Dan Kadar and Browns beat writer Nate Ulrich of the Akron Beacon Journal and Ohio.com. With Steve Dorschuk from the Canton Repository. It's
1: intercepted! Picked by Dixon Ward! Chubb will take this off. Browns fans.
0: Now, Cover 2, a podcast on the Cleveland Browns.
1: Hey there, everybody. Welcome back to Cover 2. Of course, this is Dan Kadar, joined by Browns beat writer Nate Ulrich. Nate, the Browns are 0-1 after a 33-29 loss to the Kansas City Chiefs. We're going to spend a little bit of time on the podcast talking about that. Not a ton, though, because there is our usual post-game uh, podcast and video that George Thomas does that's up on the site, and if you subscribe to us, I'm sure you've listened to that too. But we're going to talk about that a little bit, and we are going to look ahead to Week 2 against the Houston Texans, a team that is 1-0 after beating the Jacksonville Jaguars and Urban Meyer in Week 1. Um, so, Nate, with all that said, so a big-picture view of, of the game for you is is what after they, they had another kind of close one?
0: Well, my big picture view is the Browns are the contender that we thought they would be. Um, they are better than last year. This was the full Chiefs experience. This was in Arrowhead Stadium with all the fans back. This was a Full four quarters of Patrick Mahomes. So those are major differences from January 17th when the Browns lost in the playoffs 22-17 in the uh, divisional round. So, you know, I think that the Browns dominated for the first half. They scored a touchdown each of the first three possessions. And they flirted with a little lateral magic there at the end of the half to get in the end zone again. (laughs) Came up about 11 yards short. But. I thought it was just a dominant first half, an ultra aggressive approach by Kevin Safancy going forward on, on a couple fourth downs there early in the game, going for the two point conversion after the encroachment penalty when the Browns lined up to, for the extra point. Uh, I thought Nick Chubb and Jarvis Landry came out on fire. Uh, Baker Mayfield was pinpoint accurate. So there was so much good to take from that. And then obviously the self-inflicted errors in the second half, you know, it's funny because a lot of people say that you have to play a perfect game to beat the Chiefs in Arrowhead. I think the Browns showed that you don't have to quite play a perfect game, but you can't make that many mistakes. Like you can't have the Nick Chubb fumble lead to three points in the third quarter, in which the Browns are scored ten to nothing. You can't have, you know, John Johnson the third get turned around on that wild, you know, play from Patrick Mahomes with Jordan Elliott in his face launching it. Along the sideline, and and Tyreek Hill coming down with it with some great tracking and and running for the rest of the way for a 75-yard touchdown pass. You can't have that that crazy play burn you, and then and you can't have Jamie Gillen drop the punt. I mean, you just you, it's, it's a turnover on downs. He gets mobbed by the Chiefs, and you know they take over their 15. That led to what ended up becoming the game-winning touchdown. And obviously the Browns offense that had dominated in the first half, like I said, the couple three and outs there uh, when you really needed them to have more, you know, meaningful uh, possessions. And, and, you know, suddenly, you know, they're going three and out for the first time. So, you know, all those things just added up to the Browns not being, as Miles Garrett said, the more the the more capable and composed team down the stretch that belonged to the Chiefs. And so I think that the Browns, you know, went toe to toe, showed that they are one of the better teams in the NFL uh, with the way they played. But obviously, you know, down the stretch, you, you get the ball back from with a Miles Garrett sack and you need Baker Mayfield to deliver a final dagger. And he just did not. You know, he gets tripped up. He said he was trying to throw the ball out of bounds. Of course, Daniel Sorensen does the diving and tripping, grabbing a, a ankle or foot of Mayfield, and Mayfield gets intercepted um, on that ball that he intended to to throw well out of bounds, and Daniel Sorensen is like the Browns' killer now. I mean, it's official. You know, he had that helmet-to-helmet <laughs> helmet, helmet helmet hit on Rashard Higgins in the divisional round game, and Higgins fumbles uh, through the end zone and out of bounds for a touchback on, on what, you know... Obviously, the Browns thought it was going to be a touchdown, and now Sorensen ends up sealing the game with this tri- tripping uh, leading to an interception. So, so many good things for the Browns, but, like, finishing, it's weird, because, like, we, we talk about, even when the Browns are bad, we talked about they need to learn how to finish, because they were in games. Under Hugh Jackson, they were in games all the time, uh, but mm-hmm. they would blow it in the end, and they definitely learned how to win and finish in a lot of ways last year and they did i mean they won 12 games they, you know 12 and 6 including the the two playoff games was the record at the end and they won some tight ones they you know you know the whole story but finishing in that atmosphere at Arrowhead against that team is a different level of finishing so i think the browns know how to finish but knowing how to finish against a team that good on the road and maybe the toughest place to play in the NFL is like a different level of finishing that they still obviously need to reach. And that is a level that I think that they very well could get a chance to reach in the playoffs. I think we could see a rematch here again between these two teams. So I, th- I expect the Browns to be there. I still think a great season lies ahead for them. And I think that, you know, even though they lost and we go, of course you want to win, goes without saying, you come away feeling like this team is legit like we thought it was.
1: Yeah, I, I feel the same way. Um, and I, I took a look at power rankings around the Internet, and I know those are, you know, mostly meaningless. But for the most part, the, the national view of the Browns seems to, to remain positive. There was a couple... Uh, guys who pushed them pretty far down, but I think they're just hot take merchants. But, um, you know, I got to tell you, I, I at some point during the game, I actually wondered if, if Daniel Sorensen was still on the Chiefs just because we, we didn't hear his name, at least on the broadcast uh, by CBS, you know, of, of Dirty Dan making plays, and then there he was at the most critical player of the game for the Browns uh, getting a, getting a hand on Baker Mayfield and causing that errant throw. Uh, and it was intercepted by uh, Mike Hughes. Mike Hughes. Yeah. I, I remember where he went to college and how many years he's been in the NFL Four in central Florida, but um, couldn't remember his name. So thank you. So that that's kind of the big picture view of, of the game. If you if you were to tell the Browns, I think you need to do this better, is there anything out there, or was this just a case of they were playing the best team and they had three costly turnovers? Is, is that is that what it boils down to, or is there something in this game where you can take away from it and say, the Browns need to do this better? If, if you were to answer that, what would it be?
0: Well, I think they need to play better special teams overall. I think they need to just, I mean, yeah. I mean, some of it is fluky. I mean, is Jamie Gillen going to drop a snap again? I mean, probably not, you know. (laughs) You know, Nick Chubb has five fumbles in like 45 career games. You know, like he's not, uh, uh, this isn't a chronic problem. You know, two of those I think were, in New England in 2019. That was a a game that, you know, they were hanging in there and, you know, they were in good position and those fumbles really ended up being the story of the game. So, you know, I, I think that Baker has delivered uh, some game-winning drives before. I, you know, we we know that we have seen that. But again, it's just like, can you do it against some of the best teams in the NFL? Like, can you do it when it's not the Bengals, you know? And I think that's the next step for Kevin Stefanski, Baker Mayfield, and the offense. Like, I think it was the second to last um, drive. I'm trying to remember here, but Jack Conklin, you know, you're all-pro right tackle, he gets beat. Uh, by Chris Jones, who's, you know, a, a great defensive lineman. Yes. And, and there's a sack and, you know, it's just, it's just like, okay, so you have some of your best players just, you know, oh, uh, that was the, I'm sorry. That was the, that was the first of the two, three and out. So it was, it wasn't the second to last drive, but they started, they started that drive in the you know, 10 minutes left, about 10 minutes left in the, in the, um, Fourth quarter, right after the 75-yard touchdown Tyree Tyre kill, they started that with the sack that the Jack Conklin gave up. So it's just like you need your best players to be at their best in the biggest moments. And I don't know what the, the magic recipe for that is, other than maybe experiencing those moments, learning from them, and hoping that you can parlay that into a uh, better performance in the clutch. Because that's really what – what it came down to and what they needed. And and Baker, like I said, was like, he was pinpoint accurate for most of the game. He still finished 75% completion. Uh, so did Mahomes. But, you know, there's, there's going to be a debate about this. And even Baker and Anthony Schwartz had a little, you know, they have different takes in their post-game interviews. But there was that second-to-last possession by the Browns. And it's a third and seven at Cleveland 28 and, and Baker throws a ball to Anthony Schwartz and Schwartz, you know, he basically, you know, adjusts and is right there. And, uh, on Thornhill breaks it up and, and Schwartz is like, Hey, 10 times out of 10, I got to have strong hands. I got to make that play. And Baker's I asked Baker about the place to no, know that's a bad ball. And I thought he underthrew him on that. And that was, Baker was saying, yeah, I need to put it out more toward the sideline. So it's an easy one for him. That's not some crazy contested catch that he has to make. that, like Odell Beckham Jr., you know, probably would have made. Like we're used to seeing that out of him. This is a rookie in his first game. And Anthony Schwartz obviously had a really nice one. But, you know, that's a, that's a tough ask in that situation. So it's like as, as, as pinpoint as ba- Baker was in the entire game, Uh, leading up to that there's a there's a a miss in the clutch as as great as jack Conklin is he's an all pro there's a whiff on chris jones in the clutch you you know what i mean these these things just add up you need your best players to be at their best in the biggest moments is the main thing and i don't know like how do you how do you get that clutch gene if it's if it is it just is that just something that's innate like you have to have it or can you get used to these situations in these in these key moments in these crazy tough environments these playoff atmospheres and deliver and break through that way I think that's a big question for the Browns after this one
1: I think it is too and I, I think if you're the Browns you have to hope it's the latter where you just kind of build up your you know your your confidence I guess and your your will to beat these teams that are really good um but I'm, I'm glad you brought up Anthony Schwartz, actually, because I got to tell you, if anybody has listened to our podcast leading up to the season, I was very much in the camp of why did the Browns draft this guy? He's hurt all the time. He's not, you know, he's fast, but that, that's it. And I, I really had questions about why he was on the team, quite frankly, and after watching what the the Browns did with him in Week One, he was he was my big time surprise of the week. I was shocked uh, how they used him. Was that do you think was that a, a consequence more of uh, Odell Beckham being out and there's just an opportunity there for that type of player in the Browns offense, or is this going to be kind of what we should come to expect out of Anthony Schwartz, where he can get these big pop plays.
0: Well, they had 59 snaps on offense. He had 31 of them. Now, to put that in some context, Nick Chubb, I mean, who I consider the offense's best player, he had 31 snaps. But Anthony Schwartz played as much as Nick Chubb. It's kind of remarkable. Like, you know, Jarvis Landry had 51 snaps. Uh, Donovan Peoples-Jones had 47. And then Schwartz was third among the receivers with with the 31. Rashad Higgins only had four. Obviously, Odell Beckham Jr. was inactive. So I, I was with you, Dan. Like I watched every you know Brown's practice, well, virtually every Brown's practice. Um in training camp and you know, all the preseason games, and you know, Anthony Schwartz missed a lot of them. You know, hamstring issue after hamstring issue, like going back to the spring. He he had said he had aggravated it. You know, it was a recurring thing. And you're just wondering, like, is this guy ever going to get on the field? Like, I I remember being fooled by Corey Coleman, who was a first-round pick, not a third-round pick. But (laughs) the Browns drafted Corey Coleman. He looked amazing in training camp. And then he had all these hamstring injuries start popping up. And it was one thing after another. And, you know, he ended up being a huge bust. But, um this was kind of the opposite where Anthony Schwartz can't get on the field. He can't really have those wow moments in practice. And then he gets out there in the real game. I mean, and he just, he has a really nice performance. And you see how the Browns want to use him. I mean, they had a really interesting package there with 13 personnel. And, you know, he was the one out there with those three tight ends at receiver. Uh, So I kind of think, Dan, that he probably would not get 31 snaps if odell beckham jr were active like it would be a a lighter workload but i think he'd probably get 20 20 ish you know like i think that there's still uh, a decent amount of plays that they want him on the field for because of that speed and the way that it can create spacing uh you know even when he's not the target or getting the ball so i really think that You know, adding speed on defense was a big deal, but we talk about speedster receiver, speedster receiver, big need in the draft. Well, they went on and they got a guy who literally has like Olympic speed as a sprinter and they want to use it. And they think that when the Kevin Stefanski and Alex Van Pelt design the schemes, um, that that speed is a factor that defenses have to account for and it opens things up. So I think that, Yeah, we're going to continue to see Anthony Schwartz even when Odell comes back, and a decent amount of him, too.
1: Yeah, I I thought he was really fun, if if nothing else, just watching. You know, guys with that kind of speed, they just look different. Now, I'm not going to expect Anthony Schwartz to turn into Tyreek Hill, who is, you know, um, among the best wide receivers in the NFL, and he, he torched the Browns for almost 200 yards, but... I don't know. I, I was excited watching Anthony Schwartz by I think the third time he got the ball. You know, you, you just feel like an excitement, like, ooh, this guy could take it, you know, anytime. That that That's the feeling I get with him now. So I am I am fully 180 turning on Anthony Schwartz and I am on the Anthony Schwartz bandwagon now. So uh, fun player for sure. But, Nate, let's look ahead to Week 2. The Browns uh, open their season at First Energy Stadium with the Houston Texans. Like I said at the top, the Texans are coming off a, a Week 1 win over the Jacksonville Jaguars. Uh, probably the least-watched game of the NFL, but you you powered through and you caught up and, and watched the Houston Texans beat Trevor Lawrence and Urban Meyer i got to be honest, I, I don't know almost anything about the Texans this year other than I I heard somebody say they have the worst roster in the NFL on one of the, the pre- or post-game shows that I had on TV. Um, I know they have a bunch of draft picks in the, in the following years because they traded their best players. And that's about all I know about the Texans. Nate, what... What kind of obstacle, if any, do the Texans pose to the Browns?
0: Well, I don't think they pose a real obstacle. You know, the Browns just need to take care of business, and I think this should be pretty lopsided. Um, You know, I'm going to go Browns 34-20. I've already got my score because I just don't think this is a difficult one that I need to – you know, sit down and go back and forth about. So that's what I'm going with. Browns thirty four twenty. I think you know there are some good skill players uh, on the Texans. I mean, you're going to be able to find talented players on on even the worst NFL teams. Sure. And you know they they can say that Brandon Cooks is a good player. You know, and he showed up in that opener uh, in the. The most interesting thing, really, is just that the Texans have like I counted on their most recent depth chart eight Browns players on it. You know they might have more on the practice squad or whatever, but um, eight former Browns players, I should say. Tyrod Taylor is is kind of the headliner there. There's not like big names, um, but you know he was the temporary uh, for a very brief time placeholder for for Baker Mayfield in, in 2018. Uh, so yeah, I mean, there's not much there. I mean, Jacksonville is gotta be the worst team in the NFL, despite somebody else saying that the the Texans have the worst roster. I mean, <laughs> they, they handled Jacksonville, but I think the yeah. Browns will, will handle Houston. And this should, in my mind, start a winning streak for the Browns. You know, nothing is given there, you know, the, there are no layups. This should be as close as, layup as there is and and i think that they need to go on a winning streak here and it could be similar to last year you know they they lose the opener last year i mean obviously it, it was a a very ugly blowout loss in the opener to to baltimore and this was much different this year this this is like them looking like the real deal and losing just because of the you know the opponent that they are facing been to the last two Super Bowls and all that. But my point is that they lost the opener last year and then they went on a four game winning streak. So I think that this should be the start of a winning streak for them. And then, you know, to me, if you want to play the schedule game, Dan, you can look at week five. And I think you had that as a loss at the chargers. Um, yep. But cor- correct me if I'm wrong, but anyway, that's the next one where I think you got to you sit there and think, okay, you know, this is kind of one that, you know, it could go either way. Um, leading up to it, though, they need to put some wins together. It's, uh, you know, it's going to be Houston and Chicago at home and then at Minnesota. And I'm not saying Minnesota is going to be easy. Uh, you know, there are going to be some people who, who might pick the Vikings and that one, you know. Just because it's a road game or whatever, not not Browns. I'm not saying people who are like watching the Browns, but nationally, and you know, the, I don't know. To me, the Browns need to handle business there and set themselves up to be three and one heading to the Chargers. So that just kind of thinks how ha- show or that kind of shows you how I'm thinking about this game coming up. Like I'm, the Browns aren't allowed to look ahead. Kevin's is not look, allowed to look ahead. The players aren't, but I am, and I'm looking ahead. <laughs>
1: I think that's smart. I am. I'm in a, I'm in a very serious survivor knockout death pool thing. And the Browns might be my pick this week. Um, Cause I, I, I think it's going to be a big one. I think you're, I'm, I'm going to go with 41 to 10 just because nobody ever picks giant blowouts in, in games. I'm, I am going to. That's going to be my new gimmick. I'm going to be the blowout guy. Um,
0: <laughs> you know, the Browns don't have blowouts.
1: They do not. Which is, so, that's a little concerning for me. You know, I, I, I want, like, they had those close games with the Bengals last year, for instance. I I just want to see them come out and say, yes, we are one of the elite teams in the NFL. And just... Destroy a team like the Texans, who are not good. Um, So that's why I'm saying 41 to 10. The Browns, the Browns play angry, uh, coming off a Week One loss, and and just really take it out on Houston. Poor Houston.
0: Yeah, I'm looking at their um, margins of victory last year, and I think 14 points was the largest margin of victory, unless I'm missing something. I think they did it twice. I think they did it against Washington uh 3420 and against the Giants late in the season, twenty to six. So I'm picking thirty-four twenty. I guess I didn't I didn't look at this until now. Unknowingly, I'm picking thirty-four twenty, the same score that they had against Washington in week three last last season. But your score probably more accurately uh reflects the levels of talent on each team than. I just think that you know Browns go up big and then, you know, give up a garbage time touchdown type of thing.
1: Yeah, that sounds good. and I got to tell you, I want to see a play out of a Browns linebacker in this game. I don't I don't care if it's a if it's a sack, forced fumble. Um Farrell Brown, one of those former Browns you mentioned, he's the tight end for the the Texans and they they seem to like him. Yeah. I, I thought the Browns really struggled against Travis Kelsey, Malcolm Smith in particular. I, I want to see them shut down the tight end. Uh, I, I want to see these linebackers show up because, man, week week one, uh, I didn't see anything special out of that group. So that that's what I'm keying on because I think this should be an easy win, but there are going to be things I am going to be nitpicking for when we record next week, by God.
0: Pharaoh Brown had an awesome one-handed catch. Um, the he other did. Day. Yeah, he did. <laughs> like he's I'm talented. Really, yeah, he really, he really had an amazing play, and um, you know, he's a hometown guy too, coming back. So is Whitney Merciless, an Akron guy. Um yep. Not a former Browns player, but yeah, I mean, they got Tyrod Taylor and and Pharaoh Brown and um, you know, Mark Murray. Eric Murray and uh, Terrence Mitchell and Christian Kirksey and Vincent Taylor and
1: Tommy old reliable
0: Thomas, you know, special teams ace, former special teams ace for the Browns. So, yeah, I mean, (laughs) there are all those guys, Justin McCray, a backup lineman. He coincidentally was the starting left tackle for the Browns in that New England game. I referenced earlier with uh, the Nick Chubb fumbles, but, that's uh shows you how far the Browns have come since a couple years ago. But yeah, uh there's not there's not a whole lot doing other than the familiar faces and the Browns just need to take care of business. Kevin Stefanski, you know how he can get this team locked in. I have no doubt. I I do not expect him to overlook the Texans. He was already talking about the one and oh Houston Texans, you know, right <laughs> after the Browns played the Chiefs. So Yeah. I, I just can't doubt his ability to get this team in the right mindset. And look how they were ready. I mean, we talked about it last season. Hey, they weren't ready for week one and they still had their most successful season in 26 years. Why weren't they ready for week one? Well we know why. I mean it was the pandemic and all those off season practices got wiped out. They didn't have new any preseason games under the new coaching staff. You know, new schemes on both sides of the ball. It's tough to come out when you're facing the epitome of continuity. John Harbaugh, his staff, the Ravens organization and the discrepancy between the two was was blatant. And it was there. It was glaring for all of us to see in that 38 to six outcome. But look how an off season with Kevin Stefanski, um, you know, a, a, a real training camp, not a condensed one. Uh, you know, some preseason games. He had the Browns ready to play in week one, and I have no doubt he's going to have them ready to play in week two.
1: Yeah, I think you're right, and we will have full coverage leading up to that Week 2 game over at BeaconJournal.com sports slash Browns. There's going to be a bunch of stuff. There's a ton of stuff up there already. Our colleague Marla Ridenour has a really good column, I think, that she published right after the game on Sunday about Stefanski and his play calling. That's a good read. There's some interesting thoughts from Brown Center J.C. Tredder on the uh, Ronnie Harrison incident. Nate has coverage of that, of course, too. Uh, it's a very weird story, but we have coverage of that. And there's going to be a ton more coming throughout the week. So check that out again, beaconjournal.com sports Browns. But that is going to do it for cover two this week. Thank you, everyone, for listening. And we will talk to you next time.